and welcome to this Property Life podcast. I'm Caroline Claydon and I'm a property investor and trainer. And each week, my friends and I will be sharing with you some top tips on how to invest in property, sharing our strategies, the deals we're working on, and also speaking to special guests about their adventures in property as well. This week, I'm going to be sharing with you some top tips on how to raise money for your property transactions. It's the most common question we're always asked about when people are looking to start their adventures in property investing. So there are key elements in this episode that I hope you'll get great value from and I hope you will enjoy it. Hi, and thanks for joining us back at this Property Life podcast. Uh, My name's Caroline, and today I'm going to do a session on something that just consistently seems to be the question I'm asked by people who want to get started investing in property, or frankly, people who are just at the very early stages of thinking about investing in property, and that is about having the money. I don't have enough money to invest in property. How do I get the money? People who invest in property must have lots of money to get started with. These are all very common themes and uh, phrases that I'm constantly hearing from people who want to get involved, but just get keep stumbling over this money piece. So I just wanted to do a session today on trying to clarify in everyone's mind that actually being an entrepreneur or, or an investor does not require the money. The money is actually the least important element behind a lot of businesses or investments. Now, don't get me wrong, money comes into play, but it actually comes into play further down the track than most people believe. And that's the most important part of uh, the podcast here this week is for me to really try and help explain the process and then unpeel the 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 elements uh, around this obsession around money so if you think about where where this whole uh, belief comes from that you need money first before you invest in property or money first before you buy something it really stems from our childhoods very very early on we are told if you want those sweeties or if you want that game or that toy you need to save your pocket money right and in order to get your pocket money you need to put the dishes away, you need to make your beds, you need to get your school bags ready, you need to follow a certain set of rules or actions in in your everyday little life as a seven-year-old or whatever in order to earn your pocket money. And then, of course, you then save that pocket money to then get the item that you desire, be it the toy or the, the sweetie or the game or whatever, right? So we're programmed from a very young age that we have to carry out an action or a job or work, get the money as payment, and then save that money in order to get what we want. But in actual fact, the reality is, as an entrepreneur, everything starts initially with the item of desire. That's where it starts. And then we have to raise the money through other means to then acquire that. So it stands to reason as grown-ups, we assume, well, if we want to buy a house to live in, we need to have the deposit, right? So then we have to work in our job, save that deposit, get a mortgage, and then buy our house. So everything does seem to, to feature around this whole message of money first, what you want second. Right. So um, 
what I, I work with my students on is actually turning that around and saying, actually, you, we need to focus on if property investing is what you want to do. We need to focus on a few steps prior to the money piece. We need to establish, well, what are you trying to achieve first? What is it that you want to do? Is it that you're investing in property for your pension? You are happy in your job. You like your life as it is right now, but you're concerned about your provision for when you retire. Is that why you're investing in property? Or is it that you hate your job, you want to leave your job as quickly as possible, and you want an income stream in order to facilitate that? Or is it that you want to create a legacy for the kids, or you just want to work part-time, or whatever it is? Actually, that's the part we need to start with. Once we've established why you actually want to invest in property, then we choose the correct strategy that aligns with that. So the strategy should always be in line with not just what you're trying to achieve, be it leaving your job, the legacy for the kids, the the retirement provision, but also it needs to align with your personal circumstances. So there's no point in you looking at buying land if you've never even bought a buy to let before, right? If you have no experience whatsoever as an investor or as a developer, like starting with a land development is kind of like jumping into the ocean uh, when you are just beginning to start to learn to swim, right? So it's quite an extreme uh, strategy to get to get started with. So looking at what you're trying to achieve along with the the vehicle the, the the strategy that you're going to use to get there so most people think about buy to lets to start with but you don't need to do that imagine that you have no ability to get any credits or lending then choosing a strategy that requires credit and lending is a fairly stupid way to go right so we need to choose a strategy that you like the sound of that aligns with your values that's going to get you what you want that uh, meets your personal circumstances. And then from there, we choose our investment area. So we're like narrowing down where are we actually going to carry this out? Um, and we, we base our investment area on where are we going to make the most money, simply put. Like, again, most people, when they're starting, they want to invest on their doorstep. They want to invest where they're familiar. And I, again, I want to throw that out the window and say, actually, you want to invest in the location where your cash flow is going to be biggest or your profit margin is going to be biggest. Um, so, you know, you might be investing in a location you've never been to before. And in fact, the very first time I invested in a location I'd never been to before, luckily I had my mentor with me and, uh, you know, he kind of walked me through a blueprint of how to follow a process when you are in a territory that you've never been to before. And so then that's, once you've got that blueprint, you can just repeat, 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 repeat. So I'm not phased in any way about just being dropped into any city or town in the UK and then and being able to suss out, is this a location that I want to invest in? So we've got setting the goal, what you're trying to achieve. Then we've got choosing the strategy that's going to get you that. Then we've got your investment area that you're going to do it in. And then we need to start searching for the deals. Okay, so I haven't even started talking about money yet, right? Money is like further down the track. And there's a lot of work that you can put in 
uh, at the very, very beginning before you even need to think or worry about the money. So finding the deals. So behind that finding the deals, we need to be able to do the deal analysis, run the numbers, check that these properties are actually going to make you money and that there's we're, we're mitigating any risk. We're checking for all the different exit strategies. So just for clarity, an exit strategy is, let's say you buy a property in order to rent that out as a serviced accommodation unit. Well, if serviced accommodation, for whatever reason, suddenly three years down the line doesn't stack up anymore, can I then use this asset as a buy-to-let? Would it stack up as a buy-to-let? Would it stack up as a social housing or an assisted living property? Could I convert that into a multi-let or an HMO? So there's multiple different exit points for this asset. So we're looking at a number of different avenues when we're searching for the deals. We're running the numbers. We're running our exit strategies. We're checking out where the, what the supply and the demand is in the area. Uh, and then we're putting in our offers. So the ones that actually stack up, we're putting in our offers. And again, I'm not thinking about the money. I haven't even considered what's in the bank account. And that's a tricky part, right? Because everyone's brain is immediately going to, how the hell am I going to pay for this? But don't go there. It's a dark place. If you wait until you have enough money, you'll never do anything. Okay. So you're putting in the offers and you're going to have offers rejected. So we have to accept that. But then you're going to have an offer accepted. And then at that point, you have a mini celebration. And that is the moment we start thinking around the money. Now, look, I'm being very black and white with this. Of course, we can run the searching for the deals, the running the due diligence on the deals, as well as raising the money alongside each other. But I'm trying to make it as... As, as clear as I possibly can, that actually the money piece in investing comes further down the track than most people give it credit for. So you have this opportunity, the offer has been accepted, and now you know how much money you need. All right, so before you've got that deal secured, you have no idea how much money you need, how long you need it for, what the payment terms are going to be. And so you're kind of flailing around without any direction. And that's why people don't actually move any further forward because they just have a lack of knowledge of what, what they're doing. You know, what's it for? What's the purpose of it? So once you have this knowledge behind, you need, let's say, a cash. Let's do cash purchase for the whole thing and refurb. You know how much money you now need to raise. You know how long it's going to take you to do the refurb. You also know how long it's going to take before you can then pay that money back. And that's when you can start looking at your finance options. So there's three different ways that you can raise money for a property transaction. There is institutional money. So that would be money that you get from a, a lending institution. So a bank or a bridging company. Uh, it's called an institution if you require to have your credit profile looked at, lots of forms to fill in, assets and liabilities forms. They really start looking at you as an individual and your credit worthiness as well as the deal itself, right? Now, 
Traditionally, people get a little uh, scared of going down institutional lending because it, it typically uh, is feels harder to get because, you know, you have these underwriters sitting in the bank deciding if you're worthy or not. But actually, institutional lending is very, very active in the property investment field and is relatively straightforward to you for you to get your hands on as long as you have a credit profile that is healthy. If you don't have a credit profile that is healthy, then don't panic. There's still a solution to that problem that I'll cover in a second. So institutional lending could be that you use a bridging lender to give you the like 75% of your purchase price. And then now you only need to, to raise the, the, the deposit, the 25%, and then any, any refurb that you need to, to secure. Now, that part, people get a mental block around. Well, I can get a bridge, I can get a mortgage, but I don't have the deposit. I don't have the, ref the refurb money. What, what, what now? I'm stuck. I can't do the deal. Well, you have so much money available to you in the form of private money. So that's the second type of, of money you can raise, private money, that most people don't actually know they have this available to them. Now, private money is any money that you can acquire that belongs to an average, ordinary person living their life. Like, I, I can't even put any other description on it than there are people living their lives right now who have worked hard for their money. They've saved for a rainy day. They recognize that inflation is much higher than the interest that they're getting on their money in the bank. And they are unaware of how to improve the quality of the return that they're getting on that cash. You can help them. So rather than you thinking, I need someone's money, actually, that person who is working hard for, for their cash and saving for any day actually needs you to give them a better return on their money. So if you think about in the current market, people at best are getting like 2%. All you need to do is offer them more than that. And it's a win-win. So they're... The, what we call these people are angel investors, but they don't have like a specific company set up to lend money. They, they might not see themselves as investor mindset or, you know, that savvy about cash. You know, I've had angel investors who are just, you know, you know, little old ladies who have some money, money tucked away and, you know, it's just sitting there doing nothing and, and, and they want to, you know, make a little bit of, uh, extra cash from it, right the way up to, you know, hedge fund managers who are super aggressive with their investing and, uh, and want the best return possible and looking for security and all the rest. So these are everyday people. You know, I've raised money from people walking their dogs in the same park as me, um, you know, my nail technician, you know, hairdressers, uh, taxi drivers, you know, anyone who has some cash in the bank, they're looking for a solution for their money situation, okay? So this is where you come in and you can just start telling people about what you do. You're, you've got this property deal that you're working on at the moment and you're looking to offer, let's say, 8% on the money or 6% on the money. You'll know yourself from doing the deal transaction and the due diligence 
on the numbers, how much this deal can afford to pay to do the money, to do the deal. And all you need to do is uh, tell people about it. You don't need to ask someone for money with a sort of begging bowl. That's what people feel really uncomfortable about. You know, I have students who are, you know, professionals in careers. They may be in their 40s and 50s. And the idea of asking someone for money is absolutely repulsive. That's so crass and, and dirty. It makes them sound desperate. And they're not desperate. They just want to invest in an asset class. Uh, and so for them, the idea of going with a little begging bowl, asking for someone to, to lend them cash is just not going to happen, right? So we have to position this as you have a, a business opportunity for somebody, for them to make a better return on their cash that sat in the bank rotting away, right? And that just feels better to most people. And once you can get your head around that, then you'll be amazed at how many people are interested in this. We are not desperate. As investors, we are not desperate for people's money. They need us actually more than we need them because there's so much money available to us once we know what we're doing that we can start scaling our business in any direction using all the different tools in our toolkits. So there's three different types of ways of raising money. Institutional, I've talked about. Private money, which is my favorite. Your credit profile is irrelevant. You can dictate the terms um, available to both parties. What's the win-win? What does the angel investor want? What do you want? And let's match those two things together. Private money is definitely my favorite because there's no limit on how much that you can access or use. And no one actually can ever see that you're using it. So if they do do a credit profile search on you, it's not on there. Nobody knows that you're using it or accessing it. And then the third type of money that you could access is what we would refer to as creative money. So something that you do that's a little bit out of the ordinary to access cash. So that could be having a, uh, let's say, a diamond necklace that's super valuable and you know, using a cross-collateral loan, using the diamond necklace as security to access cash. Now that uh, could be done on a private basis or an institutional basis. Or I have students who, um, you know, have suggested selling a kidney. <laughs> um, that's fairly extreme. But, you know, there's ways that you could turn a skill that you have into a money-generating uh, income stream. So, you know, if you are um, a singer-songwriter and you produce music for other people in your spare time, or you have a sewing or a knitting skill, <laughs> or you're brilliant with spreadsheets, you know, get yourself on Fiverr or one of those uh, websites that, you know, people go on to looking for, for skills and monetize what you have available to you. Sell a lot of rubbish that's in your house that you haven't looked at for years, for example. Now, look, we could all do a little bit more of that. That takes time and effort. And I have to admit, that's where I really fall down. I've got a, a room basically filled with clothes and items that I'm desperate to sell. But frankly, I just never get around to it. Uh, but that tells me that Frankly, I'm not desperate enough for that cash, right? So there's just easier ways to raise it. I find private money and institutional money are the two that I generally use most when um, I'm investing 
in my deals. When I started, I had a ton of debt. I had no income. My credit file was okay. It wasn't great, but it was okay. And so I used a combination of both private money and institutional money to get me started. It was a massive leap of faith. It was a real uh, change the way I think. Um, it was kind of leaping into the unknown about, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself into more debt to do this. But the reality is we've been so conditioned to only ever buy something that we can afford that if you want to build a business and invest in an asset class to create a different lifestyle for yourself, a different retirement plan or a legacy for your kids, then unfortunately you're going to have to do something different. And that means being a little uncomfortable the very first or second time you do it. Once you're over that, then of course, everything feels easier. But the minute that you start using new lines of cash, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I was brought up by my dad, who is a chartered accountant that worked in the bank for like 30 years. And so bridging finance in my household was like the nuclear button you never press. You just never use it. It's so dangerous. That, that was the, the language my dad used around it is it's dangerous. I've seen more businesses fail using bridging than any other type of finance. Um, and so I, for the first three, maybe even four years of my property investing, I did not touch bridging. Um, so, you know, again, the power of your values, your belief system really does play a huge part on how you act in your business as an investor. But, you know, once I had a deal on the table, and I was more confident in my ability and confidence in the quality of the deal, then, uh, and bridging was a good option, I thought, hmm, let's try it. Let's just see how this goes. And actually, now I use it as standard. I use it as standard. Um, and, you know, there's other things that I've always promised myself I'd never do that I then have gone and done. Like, um, you know, one of the number one fears my students have when they're starting is the risk of losing their house. And I say quite simply, don't risk your house. You don't need to put your house as security for any lending if that's what you're worried about. And for years and years and years and years, I had that same feeling and thought process myself. But now I'm in the process, even today, going to meet with a, a company that can put a second charge on my house, which means I can access all the, the equity that I've built up there. Now, if, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been terrified to do that. Whereas now I see that as a facility, which means I can buy and acquire sexier deals quicker. And so it's a progression in the business and you have to move at your own pace, push yourself a little, um, but never put yourself in financial jeopardy. That's really key. Um, so the deal has to stack up. The quality of the deal is way, 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 way more important than actually how much money you have in the bank. What you have in the bank is irrelevant. What you can, you know, what, how resourceful you can be is actually the key here. And when any student ever says to me, I can't raise the money or I can't find the money, I know that they're not being resourceful enough. I know they have not used every possible avenue to raise that cash. So, you know, 
I heard a saying about 15 years ago that I thought was dead cheesy and I probably didn't even really understand truly what it meant, but you can either make money or you can make excuses. You can't do both. <laughs> and so if this episode here is about raising money for you investing in property, you either want to make the money or you want to make the excuses. And I think as human beings, we, we fall back on excuses far too readily. And if you want to be a true entrepreneur like your Alan Sugars, who takes full responsibility, your Richard Bransons, your, your Robert Kiyosaki's, they take full responsibility for everything that happens in their business. And you will be no different. You know, no matter what happens in my everyday life, I, I take responsibility for it, good or bad. You know, I pat myself on the, back, on the back for the good stuff and I slap myself in the face for the bad stuff. And I have to say, right, what did I learn from that not going according to how I expected it to? Um, and, you know, something happened this morning where <laughs> I just had a weekend of both my boys having their birthday parties. One turned 10, one turned seven. Their birthdays are 10 days apart. And I had both of their parties. Now, if you know anything about kids' birthday parties, they're pretty hectic. There's a lot a lot to organize around the party bags and the cake and the invites and the RSVP lists and all sorts of chaos. And it turns out that in my flurry of activity around this I managed to pay the wrong person for my cakes <laughs> a woman that I bought cakes from about six years ago I paid her the money and so the person who actually baked the cakes didn't get paid uh, and I sit there going for goodness sake what the heck's going on there and the reality is that that is me just trying to juggle far too many things at once and me taking my eye off the ball right so these things happen and you know, what's the lesson? Write everything down and be a little bit more uh, clear on, on the, the, the attention to detail. And I have to say that's one of my biggest weaknesses, the attention to detail. So when you're uh, an investor or an entrepreneur, if you can recognize your weaknesses <laughs> and maybe get someone to help you that is a little better equipped on these things, then, then that will help you um, really move forward. So I guess I, I hope that this episode here helps you if you feel a little bit stuck on the money thing, because actually when it comes down to being an investor in anything, finding your core strategy, finding a very, very clear path that you can focus on deals that you absolutely are clear on the quality of is way more important than actually the money piece itself. So follow the process that I've outlined and, and, and trust the process because if you have a quality deal, I guarantee, and I don't use that very often, but I guarantee the money is out there if you are resourceful enough. So get busy getting your strategy, get busy doing the due diligence on your leads, get your offers out there, get them accepted, and the money will come to the deals. That's a, like a little personal promise from me. So I hope that's been useful for you, and I look forward to sharing more little golden nuggets with you again in the future. Take care.
I'm sure you'll agree that when people think about property investing, they instantly think about money. And so I hope this episode has just shared a little outline on how you can start thinking about things differently as an entrepreneur, as an investor. If you want to hear more content like this, you can connect with us in our Facebook community, Property Wealth System Community Facebook group. You can also join us on one of our free webinars. And to find out more about that, you can follow me on Instagram, carolineclayton.property on Instagram, and I will share with you a link on how to get involved there. Next week, we will have some more adventures. And so I look forward to sharing with you more content uh, in the future. Have a great week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Property Life with myself and Caroline discussing all the trials and tribulations of the things that we've been recently doing. Please tune in again next week for another episode from the Property World System and This Property Life team. (laughs) 